This series that we begin today is entitled High and Lifted Up. It's all about the principles that help to guide Bethany as we lift up Jesus Christ. Not only Jesus Christ lifted up here, but there's some other things that are lifted up as well, like God's Word to us, what we've come to know as the Bible. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, To let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and as you admonish one another with all wisdom. I heard a story about an old country preacher that used to brag every time he got in the pulpit, because his sermons were so good, he'd say, you know, I've never been to Bible college. No one ever taught me how to relay the scriptures on. And as a matter of fact, he would begin to brag even further in the pulpit. And he'd say, you know, I rarely even study the Bible. Most of what I preach on a Sunday morning comes to me through the Holy Spirit and through my prayer time. You know, one of his church members challenged him and said, you know, you know how to take some classes at a Bible college. It might do you good. Well, the preacher defiantly said, you know, I'm proud of my ignorance. The church member then replied, well, you've got a lot to be proud of, preacher. (laughs) You know, if we never study the Bible, we become a pretty easy target for Satan. And one of the reasons why Bethany Christian Church lives high God's word is because there is so much profound meaning in it. But yet so often, the very thing that we keep on our bedside dresser or on our coffee table or tucked away nicely on a bookshelf is, is sadly very seldom opened in our home. George Gallup, who is a secular pollster, and Barna Research, who is an evangelical Christian poll foundation, came up with these statistics together. And they said that only 32% of Americans can name the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and James. Less than half of Americans, 40%, read their Bible weekly. According to the findings, both firms found about one-third know that the book of Isaiah is a part of the Old Testament. Most believe that the Bible was written after Jesus walked the earth. According to Gallup, A number of those who read their Bible at all have declined from 73% in 1990 down to about 59% today. And out of all those that were surveyed, 6% said that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Now, most of us know that reading the Bible alone can be a very daunting challenge. Most of the year, I I run with a running partner. Now, during the winter, it's been too miserable and cold. At least that's been my whine and complaint. And I run with a partner because it's him that helps to get me out of bed in the early mornings. And I know that we can endure this together. And by our being there for accountability, we get to be able to soldier on through the rest of the year in order to get our bodies more in physical shape. But I think sometimes we're proud of our ignorance and what we don't know about the Bible, because we say it an awful lot. And I'm not here to really bash you down today. I'm really here to tell you why it is that Bethany Christian Church lifts high God's Word. And I want to share with you 10 things, 10 reasons why Bethany lifts high the Word of God. But if you're someone here today that says, you know, the Bible's really not important to me, let me tell you what 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3 says. It says that we need to rid ourselves of all kinds of malice and all kinds of deceit, of hypocrisy, of of envy and of slander of every kind, and be like newborn babies that crave pure spiritual milk, 
so that by it we might grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, some of you this morning, you've been paused on puberty because you haven't been in the Word of God very often, but really what the Word of God can do to you is grow you into a mountain of maturity. So here are 10 reasons why Bethany Christian Church lifts high God's Word. The first one is this. It's God's Word. You know, the first and foundational book of your faith is the Bible. It's not something that Joel Olstein had read or a Max Licato novel. The foundation of our faith comes from these inspired words. 66 different books. And it's not just filled with good advice. It's not something here to help you through just your marriage or make your finances better. It's something that the leadership of this church expects everyone to read because it is foundational towards our faith. You see, this church believes that this book is without error, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And those men that had written these throughout thousands of years were all divinely spoken to and wrote down these words with the Holy Spirit's impression upon their life so that not a single dot or iota would be missing from what the Lord intended the words to be. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, verse 17 speaks on our behalf because as we align ourselves with Scripture, it tells us what Scripture is. It says all Scripture is God-breathed. That means that God has spoken these words to the authors throughout generations, and it's useful for teaching and for rebuking and for correcting and for training in righteousness. Notice what it's good for, for training in, in righteousness, to be right with God so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, we say that the Bible is revelation on two accounts. Number one, it's revelation in the sense that it is a book by God. It was authored by God, inspired to humans to be written on God's behalf. But we also say it's revelation about God. It's by God and it is about God because it's the Bible that we learn so much about who God is. If we were just to go off all of creation to try to figure out this genius creator, we would know very little about who God is. And so it's the Bible which we begin to open up and begin to read and to study that we find the heart of God. We find out that he is a loving father that's calling out to those that have disobeyed him time and time again and says, I welcome you home. We find out that he can take a group of misfits, people like you and me, and he can assemble us all together and we can be called one family, one body. We can be called the church. It's there in the pages of Scripture that we learn that God has a compassionate heart for those that love the little ones, that love those who are against injustice, that love those who love to extend mercy to their fellow man, who love to forgive those that are so hard to forgive. It's in these pages of Scripture where we learn how to love like Jesus loved. And it's a decision, not a feeling. That means that love can be extended to those that have harmed you, and you can actually love your enemy. Friends, you would have never have known those things of God if you just studied science alone. And yet it's God who revealed Himself in the pages of this book to show you His heart so that you could understand the one who authored and penned these words to all of us. The Bible is God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 and 25 says, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers, 
and the flowers fall. But notice, the word of God endures forever. Meaning that this world is going to take all sorts of twists and turns. People are going to come and go. People are going to try to stamp out the Bible, but it's the word of God that's going to last forever and it's going to endure. Here's a second reason why we lift high the Bible here at Bethany. It's because the Bible answers life's most important questions. Some of you here today are here because you discovered some of the answers to the questions I'm about to ask. And some of you are here today to hear the answers to some of these questions. And friends, I'm here to tell you that when you begin to open up this book and you begin to read it, you're going to find all the answers to these questions. Questions like, is there a God? Why am I here? How did I get here? Am I a mistake? Or does my life have meaning? Can I resist temptation? And can I defeat sin in my life? Is there life after death? Why is there evil and suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? What's the purpose of my life? And how can I live forever? All those questions are found in the pages of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says, But for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in Christ Jesus. Here's the third reason why we lift high the Bible at Bethany. It's because the Bible nourishes us spiritually. You know, just as all of us have a conscience, and we have a conscience to care for our physical body, and we want to eat the right foods, we want to have a little bit of exercise and get out a walk when it's nice outside, our spiritual lives need nourishment as well. And friends, the only place that's found is in God's Word. You know, the Bible contains words of encouragement. The Bible contains words of wisdom and words of advice. It contains practical advice about how to live and how to relate better to your spouse and how to parent your children better. Ephesians, or Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14 says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk and you don't need solid food. But anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And Peter puts it in context, or the writer of Hebrews, Paul, puts it in context and says, you know, we, we need to have some spiritual nutrition for our soul. Now, how does the Bible bring spiritual nutrition to us? Well, it only works when you get to know the author of the pages of the Bible, the one whom it's written about. I heard the story about a young lady that had read a book, and she was a part of a book club, and she came back to her book club, and she said, you know, I just wasn't impressed with the book. It was very difficult for me to read. I had to endure to get through it, and I just didn't think that highly of it. But it didn't matter. The book club still wanted to go meet the author, and they all went to meet the author. She met the author, and the author just happened to catch the attention of this young lady. They begin to talk and begin to mingle, and eventually they begin to date, and their dating relationship grew even more meaningful with one another. And she went back and she reread the book that she just didn't think was that great, and she was just fascinated by every single page that she read now. You want to know why? Because she knew the author. It meant much more to her because she had a deeper understanding of why those things were written and why those things were being asked and why those things were being concluded upon. 
And every time you read the Bible, you're getting to know the author better and better, and it becomes much more meaningful to you. It's not just stories about the Amorites and the Israelites and all these otherites. It's stories about God showing us who He is, His unique nature for people like us that have been disobedient time and time again. You know, to some, this book may not seem that interesting to you. As a matter of fact, it might seem downright boring to you. But once you get to know the author, it becomes absolutely fantastic to read. Because you're reading a love letter presented to you on God's behalf. You know, I think sometimes churches too often lose sight of what is most important. And that is getting into the Word of God. And some of you might say, well, I wish Matt would have more creative illustrations. I wish Matt was one of those prop guys that had some props on stage. I'm not Gallagher. I like to crush watermelons, but I'm not going to do it at church. But we think the Bible is so important that nothing else should overtake it. And we're not asking you to sit through 30 minutes of a boring sermon to listen to the Bible. We're asking you to go home and read the Bible and get acquainted with the author. You've been to Yellowstone National Park. When you walk into that park, they hand you a little flyer that says, do not feed the bears. But if you travel a few miles into the park, you'll find that everyone is feeding the bears. But what you don't see is when the park closes down for the winter, and at early winter, the rangers have to go in there, and they have to clear the carcasses of dead bears because those bears have forgotten how to feed themselves. And if Sunday morning is your only opportunity to be spoon-fed by me, well, you're going to find yourself longing for spiritual nourishment. You're going to be depleted spiritually. You need to take in more food throughout the week. You need to take in the bread of life through God's Word. Now, here's the fourth reason why we lift high the Bible here at Bethany. It's because the Bible encourages us to see ourselves who we are. Rich, Rick actually is a preacher down in Texas. He has a great way of explaining what the Bible does. He says, there's two ways in which we know what we look like as humans. There's photographs and there's mirrors. See, now all of us, when we take a photograph, we begin to prepare for it and we print for it. Even men pull out a comb and comb their hair a little bit before they get their portrait. We're prepared for it. But I don't think anybody woke up Friday morning and headed to work by looking at a photograph and saying, you know what, I look pretty good this morning. I'm going to go to work like this. No, you didn't. You went to a mirror. And you went to a mirror and you stopped at the mirror and you said, whoa, I've got work to do here. And you begin to primp and prep yourself. Now, have you noticed that we just have this inherent trait within us that you see a reflection of yourself in a window or you see yourself in a mirror? You're going to start doing some work. I don't think any of us can walk by any of those reflective things and not stand up a little bit taller or get some hair in place or knock some lint off the side. We were at a hotel and saw a woman standing at a fountain, gorgeous fountain, breathtaking fountain. And she was on the edge, and she was looking deep into the fountain. I thought she was just so overwhelmed by the beauty of this fountain. And then I saw what she was doing. She took the reflection that was being brought to her, and she was wiping makeup off of her teeth. It's because anytime we come close to something that reflects, we want to change ourselves. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. We've got to start doing what the Bible says. He says, anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like, meaning he doesn't want to do any more preparation. He walks by it and says, 
<laughs> That's good. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. That's James' way of saying the Bible is like a mirror, and just as a mirror represents to us that we need to do some work, the Bible shows us that we're not all we're stacked up to be. We're not the photograph we've imagined ourselves of. We, compared to Christ, really need some work here. And when we look at the Bible, we find who we should look like. We should look like Jesus. I like what Beth Moore has to say. She says, keep looking into the mirror, the Bible, until you no longer see yourself but you start seeing Christ. Let me give you a fifth reason why the Bible's important to us at Bethany. It's because the Bible offers transformation. So many of you in this room know that the Bible offers transformation. It's changed your lifestyle. It's changed your marriage. It's changed the way in which you've had a new outlook on life, and it's changed your perspective about your job, which you thought was dead and no good for you, but now you see it as something different, as a blessing. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. Now notice how it says the Bible is. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Isn't it interesting that the writer doesn't say that the Bible is like a scalpel and it's a nice surgery and it's easy and when you wake up, you're comfortable. It says the Bible's like a sword and it just comes in to lop things off that shouldn't be there. And sometimes the Bible attacks you, doesn't it? I think that's some reason why we stay away from it is because we know that the Bible can transform us. One of the brilliant Jewish philosophers, a guy by the name of Dennis Prager, you probably know who he is, was debating debating a very famous atheist named Jonathan Glover. He's from, from Oxford University. And I want to share with you a little bit of their exchange. Prager had asked, Let's say you arrive in L.A. and you're driving down a rough part of the city at 2 a.m. and your car dies. You lift up the hood to see what's going on. And then that's when you hear the footsteps of about 10 rough-looking, burly dudes approaching your car. Would it or would it not make a difference to you if you knew they were coming from a Bible study? Well, the atheist, he said, yeah, you know what? After he chuckled, it would be pretty consoling. Even sinners know that the Bible has the power to transform people's lives. It was Martin Luther who said, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet and it runs to me. It has hands and it lays hold of me. You know, the Bible has the power to transform us. And it's not just the words that are written. It's the Holy Spirit which inspired it. And when that spirit grabs hold of you and you allow it to conquer your heart, it begins to change who you are, not for the worst, not for the better, but in God's way, towards God's directions. And I can't think of any better way to place your life than in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and then to follow after God and allow God to transform you from the inside out. Here's the sixth reason why the Bible is lifted high at Bethany. The Bible encourages accountability. You know, when you study the Bible with somebody else, you come to a deeper understanding of what that scripture means. More eyes, more perspective, more life situations which are rolled out. I'm a part of a small group that meets at my house. And that small group is so valuable to my wife and I because we just don't get to see one side of the story. We have multi-generations in that group and we get to see different sides of the story. We have men and women that are 
already done with raising their kids because they're out of their house. And here we are as a young family, and we get to see what worked and what didn't work and how the Bible made a difference to them. You know, it's been said that people will stay a part of a church for all of their life, the same church. They'll never leave it if three things can happen in their life at the church. If, number one, they could be taught how to explain their faith in a very simple way. You know how to do that? You know, explain your faith in a very simple way. Number two, if they're a part of a Bible study or if they're a part of a serving team or if they're involved in ministry somehow in a church, then you'll stick around. You'll stay in the church and you'll want to desire to grow deeper in the Lord. Or if you have three or four friends in the congregation. And isn't it amazing that all three of those things can be found in our Bible fellowship classes? I mean, if you're looking for those things and you want to be a part of growth spiritually and have nourishment and have friends in the church and people that can hold you accountable, our elders every Sunday teach Bible fellowship classes. One's happening right now at 9 o'clock. Another one is happening at 1045. Just takes another hour out of your Sunday. What else are you going to do but wait for the restaurant to open up? It's a perfect time to grow and get nourishment in the Lord. But beyond that, to grow accountable to have someone hold you accountable to the scriptures and say, how are you doing today? But not superficially, in a very meaningful way. Are you holding tight to the example of Jesus Christ? Here's the seventh reason why the Bible is important to us. It's because the Bible exposes false teaching. You know, that's why I think a view of the Bible around here is lifted up so high, is because we get our marching orders from it. You know, at Bethany Christian Church, being an independent church, we don't get our marching orders from an archdiocese or from some other group that is in Indianapolis. We have no governing body but our local elders. And those men study the scriptures and help to lead us along. Now, they go for advice to all sorts of different places. And to Bible scholars, rarely do they go to me, but they go to places that know what they're talking about. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, verse 17, it says, have confidence in your leaders. Guys, they're not perfect. Let me tell you what they strive to do. They strive to do what the Bible teaches them to do. And that's not easy in a day and age that's screaming tolerance and they see the Bible as an old dead book. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. I, we have an obligation as Christians to be in tune with our leadership. And our elders, they're wise, but they also will make some mistakes. They want to get into God's word, but they'll also stumble into temptation to sin, just like the rest of us. But they have a unique calling, placed there by this church and by God himself, to be overseers of the flock, to be shepherds spiritually, over this group of people that meet at Bethany. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, has a unique part to it. The Apostle Paul is preaching, and it says, Now the Bereans, Jews, were more noble character than those in Thessalonica. So they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures. And every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. They saw the Apostle Paul, this great uh, perseverance figure in the faith, and they said, Is Paul telling us the truth or not? Now, when's the last time you went home and said, is Matt telling us the truth or not? I want to search the scriptures here. He's talking pretty loftily about what God can do. Is that true? 
We need Bereans in this congregation to keep steady the course of Scripture because not everything that's done around here is completely guided biblically. And we need people to keep us in line and accountable and say, hey, there could be some false teaching creeping in. Friends, that's why there are churches that have ignored the Bible and all they do is teach life lessons. And the life lessons, practicality comes first, and they might sprinkle in a little bit of Bible to help you out. When we get that way, the Bible becomes self-serving. And it doesn't begin to change us. We begin to change it to fit our own context and our own needs and to give us justification why we can live the way we're living. Let me give you the eighth reason why the Bible is highly lifted up here. It's because the Bible empowers us to resist temptation. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you ever notice that the only offensive piece that the Christian has is the Word of God? It's the sword of the Spirit. Everything else of the armor of God that's listed in Ephesians 6 is for defensive reasons. Shield, armor, leg wear, anything that's there is for a defensive posture. And then it says the only thing that we have to combat the world with and Satan and his schemes is God's word. And it's amazing that in the temptation of the desert, when Jesus is there in Matthew 4, every time Satan begins to shoot fiery arrows at Jesus to try to get him to sin, Jesus comes back not with his own theories, not with his own opinions, not with grandma's word of advice. He comes back with the word of God and he stands steady upon it. Dwight L. Moody had said that sin will keep you from the Bible and that the Bible will keep you from sin. King David was in love with God's word. There's probably no greater scripture about the love that someone has for God's word, the Bible, than you find in Psalm 119.11. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart. Now notice why he did it. Notice why David just captures God's word and says, I want more and more of this. He says, so I will not sin against you. Friends, it's true. The more Bible that you begin to place in here, the more it just begins to get the impurities out. You're reminded that when temptation comes, what the Bible says, and the Bible empowers us to resist temptation. And here's the ninth reason why we lift high the Bible. is that the Bible equips us to reach lost people. A couple years ago, in a playground in uh, the Netherlands, children were found playing with an, an unexploded bomb from World War II. They had dug it up. They started playing games with it, tossing it back and forth like it was a ball. The authorities had found out about this. They went to the playground, found the the bomb that was there. They took it into their possession, and they discovered that it was still active and filled with high explosives. So the authorities, of course, took it away and disposed of it themselves. Those children had no idea that the thing that they were playing with they thought was a toy, was actually something that could have destroyed them and leveled their families in their neighborhood. And isn't it amazing that our culture has said sin is acceptable. As a matter of fact, sin can be entertaining and we should engage in it and we we should enjoy it and 
Even if it goes outside the standards of God, it's okay. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you just begin to toy around with sin, it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your life and has the potential to destroy your family. You're playing with something that you have no idea what it can do to you. And the Bible equips us to reach the lost with that message that sin is not a toy. That life is fleeting. And what we do with this life makes all the difference for the life to come. And that leads us to the tenth reason why the Bible's lifted up here at Bethany. It's because the Bible prepares us for eternity. You know, around here, we believe what the Bible believes. There's a motto. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where the Bible is silent, we'll be silent. The Bible tells us emphatically that there is a place called heaven where God dwells. And there's a place called hell where God's love is shut off. And we believe that there is a literal heaven and we believe that there is a literal hell. We also believe that God sent us Jesus Christ, His own Son, to save us from that dangerous place that the Bible calls hell. And Christ is the one, when we put our faith in Him, that can save us from that agonizing place. You know, in Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites became impatient with God. And they thought that life couldn't get any worse for them. (laughs) Have you ever been there? Life can't get any worse. And then you hit a new low. They're in the desert. They're hot. They have no bread. There's no water. The only food that they have has been miraculously provided by God day after day. But they are so dissatisfied with the taste of manna that they don't want to have it anymore, even though it's miraculously just coming down from the sky and all they have to do is gather it up and eat it. And so the judgment of God fell on the Israelites in a very strange way. Numbers 21, verse 6 says, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes amongst the people, and the snakes began to bite the people, and many of the Israelites died. You know, the people thought it couldn't get any worse. And then the snakes showed up. And then many people died. I mean, they're in a hopeless condition. And sometimes it takes hopeless conditions for us to understand the power of God at work in our life. And so they tell Moses, Moses, you got to do something about this. We realize we've sinned against God. We realize we haven't done what God has asked us to do. So Moses, would you pray on our behalf that these snakes just go away? We can't handle them anymore. Moses prays, and here's what the Lord tells Moses. He said, make a snake and put it on a pole. The snake was to be made out of bronze. And anyone who looks at that bronze snake on that pole, anyone who's bitten and just looks at it, will live. Have you seen the medical symbol? Star and a snake running through it. So Moses did what God said for salvation. He made the bronze snake, put it on a pole, he lifted it up, and so strange, such a strange way to find life. All they had to do, if they were bitten by one of those snakes, was to look at the bronze snake, and there would be life. And what the snakes did in the day of Israel, friends, sin does to us today. The only cure the Israelites had 
for their snake bite so that death wouldn't come their way was to look and they would live. And Jesus uses that story to talk to a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. To explain why he came to earth, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 